I'm Mark Hennick. Welcome to this episode of the Living Well podcast from Morneau Chappelle. In this edition of the show, we meet two veteran journalists on the front lines of the ever-changing COVID-19 story. Avis Favaro is a health reporter for CTV National News. She's a Gemini Award winner, and she's also the longest-serving broadcast medical correspondent in Canadian television history. But first, we meet Crystal Guman Singh. She's the Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. In fact, she started the job just mere weeks before the pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization. It was a stressful start to a stressful year. I started everything new in a small amount of time. I moved across the Atlantic. I had a new job. I had a new life. And then this new reality of how I work came into effect. Um, and, and I was working, working really hard and just getting more and more tired. And I realized like something's not right. And all of my old coping mechanisms didn't work. You know, I meditate, I work out, all these sort of things. But um I realized it wasn't helping anymore. And I happened to be walking through a park and listening to a podcast. And it was um, with the two authors of a book called Burnout. And everything they were saying just hit home. And honestly, I was walking through the park and I just started crying. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, I need <laughs> this isn't I'm burning I'm, out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm burning out. I need to make some changes. And it's that moment where you kind of laugh. Um, and I, I've heard more journalists say, yeah, I randomly cry more. <laughs> which isn't oh, something a lot of that. journalists admit to right like yeah, like, yeah. no I, I have no feelings what are you talking about and now it's like yeah i didn't cry today so it's a victory yeah it's a good day it's a <laughs> good day that you didn't cry today so how did well what did you do with that then you realize you're either burning out or burnt out by that point with all of this change and the um you know the change is just about the most exhausting thing there is for your brain so what did you do when you recognize that uh, tried to come up with some new coping mechanisms, tried some new meditations, and uh, reached out for some therapy. I mean, had I, you been in therapy before? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I am happy to say I take full advantage of when I uh, was in Toronto, and you'd have all kinds of great benefits. I would use my benefits, and I would encourage everyone else around me. I'm like, you, you know, you can call and go see somebody. Um, the one thing I actually really hope that happens as a result of this pandemic is that we have cast aside the stigma. Because so many people are experiencing anxiety and depression and, and just mood changes. And, you know, even as simple as like, oh, I drank some extra bottles of wine this month. Uh, maybe that's something I need to look at. So maybe after all of this, we'll, we'll crush the stigma around mental health and the idea of, of getting help and talking to someone and saying you need help. Um, because I am a full supporter of, you know, talking to people. Yeah. Now, do you think that um, you would have, because you've been in, in journalism for a long time, right? More than 20 years yeah. now, I think, yeah. I, I saw in one of your bios. Um, would you have been able to say what you just said, uh, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that, that uh, this is impacting your mental health? I would say five years ago, yes. 10 years ago, no. Um, and it's just... Everything is just so much more sensitive. Everything is heightened. And I know we hear that a lot, but, um, and, and I'll give you one example. Um, early on in the pandemic, you know, I wasn't just covering uh, what's happening in the UK, but all of Europe and really just 
you know, inches from my face, image after image, hours of, of you know, hospital images and, and people being sick and, and the shot of just so many healthcare professionals and, you know, uh, you know, service workers. And I realized it started to really affect me. And it was after, I think it was in Spain, where they're using an ice rink as a morgue and the sound of the um, large trucks backing up. It's a normal sound, right? You hear the beep, beep, beep. It's a truck backing up. It started to affect me when I would go to the grocery store and I'd hear that sound and my chest would tighten. Hmm. And I would go. The thought of the bodies. Oh, it reminds me of death. Mm-hmm. And I made that connection. Went, oh, that's you know, I'm going to have to put that down as this is an issue. You're going to have to deal with that at some yeah. point. Yeah, early on, I think we uh, or I had talked to uh, Global News actually specifically about this idea of how um, traumatic events hit us, and then we snap into this fight, flight, or freeze response. You know, we kind of just lock in and we do the work. But then it's later, it's after that we either come down or don't. We stay, you know, uh, hyper, hyper vigilant. Um, And I think this is what we're just starting to experience now because the pandemic has been this persistent trauma now for months and months on end. Uh, And now that people are starting to kind of come back down into the valley, even though the pandemic is still raging and starting to realize, oh, this, you know, maybe we have PTSD uh, as a result of of the the pandemic. So I think there's some really interesting points here is, you know, you know, we talk about our lizard brains, right? And we automatically go into that compartmentalize. It's okay. I'm safe. I know this is a bad situation, but I'm okay. And it sounds horrible, but it's what journalists do. You're in a situation, you're there to observe and report, and you know that it affects you, but you sort of put up this little barrier and go, it's bad, but I'm okay. And in this situation, and I've talked to you know many friends who are also in the industry, and they say that shield is gone because we're also living it. So it's not, you know, everyone is in the car wreck. So you can't look at it and, and sort of step back. And we have to find new ways of processing that. Um, but it has been hard. And especially because, you know, journalists are, are an interesting group where we have very dark senses of humor and we generally will come together and we share, you know, the stories of horror and, and how it affected us. And we make a bad joke and, and we kind of laugh it off. And that sort of allows us to go through that cycle, that stress cycle, right? We, we shake it off and we're okay now. No one's looking at each other. No one's in the same room anymore. You don't mm. have that output. So, you know, you're relying on Zoom, you're, you know, texting a friend, but it, it's not the same. So it is, I think everyone, it's, it's starting to, to fester. And, you know, hopefully the awareness is out there that people get, oh, that's what it is. What about for the people that you've been talking to, uh, your your interview subjects? Uh, do you have a sense that they are uh, more open about their emotions, about their feelings, or is it you know pretty common with people you've talked to in North America too? I always do ask the question of of how are you coping, or what are you doing, or how are you feeling, um, just to get a sense. And and um, you know it's it's funny because everyone sort of does that pause and a little bit of an exhale and says. Oh, I'm okay. Or, oh, it's rough, you know. <laughs> so I think uh, people do seem to be sharing a little bit more and admitting to the challenges. Granted, I, you know, a lot of people that I talk to are in the healthcare in a field or or so or sort of somehow connected. So they're a little more in it as far as the research. But, you know, like I said, everyone's at that point where everyone is fatigued and you don't have the separation of this isn't my problem. Yeah. 
So what would you suggest then, you know, with all of the, the people you've talked to, all the things you've seen, uh, all the places you've seen and the work that you've done uh, to date, what would your advice to young journalists be uh, for carrying the emotional load uh, of journalism? Um, just be aware acknowledge that it's real and that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the old great image of that, you know, stone journalist, you know, who can see anything and do, yeah, it's not, it may have been real at some point in time, but it's not my experience. And, and I, I think you, if you can, if you can embrace how you feel and deal with it, it makes you happier and uh, <laughs> a, a more rational human because uh, you're not using that, you know, lizard part of your brain. Um, but I, I think you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid to have feelings. You don't have to be afraid to say, you know, that was a really hard story um, and, and talk about it. Um, because it affects everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, everyone is affected. Um, they just process it differently. So I hope more people are encouraging each other to talk about it. Um, but yeah, don't don't worry about it. Don't pretend that you're you're stone because you know no one wants to live like that. My thanks to Crystal Guman Singh, the Europe Bureau Chief for Global News. When we come back, striking a balance between the technical and the personal sides of covering COVID-19. The Living Well Podcast is brought to you by WellCan, a free mental health and well-being resource offered by Morneau Chappelle. At wellcan.ca and on the WellCan app in the App Store, you'll find information, assessments, and resources to support your mental health. WellCan resources are supplied by Morneau Chappelle's expert clinicians, as well as through partnerships with some of the biggest companies from across Canada and around the world. And now back to the Living Well podcast and your host, Mark Hannick. Avis Favaro is an award-winning journalist and the national medical correspondent for CTV News in Canada. Now more than ever, Avis says it's vital for health reporters to ensure that they keep one eye on the latest COVID developments and another on the individuals affected by the pandemic. What I try to do is be a consumer um, who crosses over between the medical field and the consumer field. So I try to see it both sides and try to make that bridge between the two sides because Prior to COVID, there was medical news and then there was everything else. And now COVID has made medical news everything. So, um, you know, there was a bridge before and now that bridge is broken and everybody is covering health, so to speak, in all its different facets under this pandemic. Now, have you seen a, an evolution, I'm, I'm sure you have, an evolution in the story over the last uh, almost a year now, wherein I remember very early on back in, in March and April, people were just getting used to the lingo, right? Flatten the curve and, uh, and, uh, and, that, and the language associated with COVID. Have you seen other kind of internal trends within the, the, the broader COVID story that have uh, um, unfolded over the last year? There's some good things and some suboptimal things. The good trends that I'm seeing is that people are aware now how public health is so critically important and how public health is not just, you know, people in an office doing public health, 
public health means the health of people in wealthy communities, in poor communities, people who work on the front line, uh, people who drive trucks and do food distribution, the health of the world being interconnected. So I think people are getting it. And we've been through four years of learning about borders and trying to close off borders. And now we realize viruses and illnesses like this do not uh, believe in borders. They, they are borderless. So I think people are getting the idea that pandemics are global. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of infighting and a lot of changing uh, in terms of the discourse online and on social media. So. Certain people who were behind the scenes are becoming very prominent on Twitter and social media. There's a lot of stirring up of things. So where we used to see public health making the lead, now there's a chorus of voices on the side. Uh, and, and that's changed the way that I see medical news, health news is being discussed and how developments are being, uh, decisions are being made. Do you think that the um, public has come to a greater understanding, and policymakers too, uh, of the social determinants of health because of this, right? Like the, the impacts of isolation, for example, on people's mental health? I hope so. I hope so, Mark. I mean, my heart breaks because my mother is in a long-term care facility. My mother-in-law was in a long-term care facility in a retirement home. She passed from COVID. I never would have suspected it because they were doing everything possible to keep it out. Uh, I mean, we're learning about how, uh, I mean, I was reading an article from one of the Ottawa newspapers about how personal support workers are actually living in shelters because they don't get paid enough. You cannot find staff to work in, in these facilities because they're at high risk and such low pay. Uh, I really hope, I really hope that this crisis is going to lead us to much better, better ways of, uh, of operating in terms of public health. We are all one. We're not separate. We're all one. And this is, please, this is the biggest example of how we need to hear that message and act on it. Yeah. Now, you know, you and I have, have uh, or, uh, spoken about a lot of stories over the years. Uh, I think we've been connected now for several years. Uh, and I'm very fortunate or very grateful to you for always uh, giving me the time uh, to, to speak about important issues like mental health. But I'm curious as to um, this, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. And particularly, you mentioned your mother-in-law, who you lost to COVID. Um, how do you how do you maintain that separation between this inundation of all these COVID related stories and you yourself having a very personal connection to the thing you're reporting on? Well, so I'm going to start off by saying that this whole year has been personal because I, hmm. I take my stories personally, and and I'm going to thank you for being one of the advocates who come forward and give ideas on how to cover mental health because. You know, many years ago, we could not do mental health stories at all. And so at least now we can cover these stories, Bell Mental Health. There's a campaign every year. At least, you know, it's opened that door. Um, I, I do try to separate in the sense that I don't want to have a conflict of interest, but I want to understand and I want to feel what people out there feel in as much as I can to help determine what stories need to be covered. So, uh, you know, if that's the only way I can describe it. Do I put up a wall? 
sort of. I mean, I think COVID has been really hard to cover because there's always an emotional investment to a degree in the story that you want to tell it correctly and balance it out. But COVID is endless. It's 24 hours a day. So my founding board is in the family room over there and he just listens to me spew it out. Um, when we look at it from sort of the work point of view, there are editors and uh, assignment editors and producers who will look at what we propose and then you know decide what is in the best public interest. But uh, COVID has been hard to have any kind of separation at all because I live it every day. Yeah, certainly a, a lot of other journalists either who are just getting into this or, or, or mid-career, um, you have something they don't, which is a, a longer-term view uh, of news media, of how it's presented, of how to do it, the stories that have been before. I mean, this isn't. I don't even think this is your first pandemic, Not certainly not to this scale, but there have been many other public health crises in the past. So, you know, what, what do you think you bring from having been through this so many times before that, that informs your reporting? Uh, well, a good question. Yes, I turned 60 this year, so COVID has been a, a real marker for me. But uh, you're right. We did. We 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 covered SARS. We covered H1N1 and learned about how pandemics work. And initially, we believed the WHO in saying there's no human-to-human -human transmission, and no, you don't need to close the borders, and no, you don't need to wear masks. We thought they were the voice of, you know, of reason and the biggest, you know, th the source of correct information. And so COVID has taught us a lot more than we knew before. Um, so my producer, Elizabeth St. Philip and I uh, now are very skeptical about all the information that we're getting. Um, it, it, what do I bring? I, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I think that what we are trying to do is show the stories of people affected by COVID and try to bring a little bit of balance. There is a lot of fear there's a lot of anxiety, but there's also information solutions. So for example, yesterday our story was on air ambulance system that works in Ontario. And what are they doing? They are working now with the province to move these critically ill ICU patients from ICU to ICU, something not normally done, to take the load off of the urban hospitals that are now seeing this spike. So we're trying to do solution stories so that people are not just overwhelmed or informed about the scary numbers, but also they can point to things that are going to help what's going on. I think mm. that's the approach that we're taking. Now, I asked you about how, you know, your years of prior experience have given you some tools for reporting on now. Do you find yourself in any situations where you come into a story and you just have a hunch, you know, you know how this is going to pan out or you know the direction that this is probably going to go in or, um, you know, you can kind of see what's coming based on past experience. Have you had many of those moments reporting on these kinds of things as well where you have some predictions about how this is going to unfold over the next year to come? I've learned, Mark, that any prediction I think I'd like to make, I do not make anymore uh, because there's so many uh, moving parts on this one. Uh, I'm just trying to keep up. Right now, my eye is on these variants. And there are enough really credible scientists that I follow that all are expressing concern. Uh, so that's where my eye is right now. I'm not going to predict anything. The only thing I can say is that Based on what we do know about the coronavirus, probably we'll have a break in the summer. 
uh, mm. and things will calm down. There's a seasonality with it in Canada. Uh, so I'm looking forward to a summer break. The question will be, how do we use that summer break? Vaccination, where is the rapid testing? Uh, that's my big question. Uh, why are we not ramping up every kind of rapid testing to figure out where, what's where? Uh, that's critical. Vaccines may have a role, but, you know, so I predict summer might be okay. I can't predict beyond that. I think the next three months will be difficult. You know, you mentioned that your preference is to report on people's stories uh, when they, uh, in framing your stories, to make it personal. What have been some or even one of the stories that have really stood out to you from the last year that really impacted you? Well, there's a few. Uh, number one, we interviewed one of the first, uh, a woman by the name of Terry, whose husband was among the first to die of COVID-19 back in March, one of the first. And she spoke with such eloquence. So her husband doesn't know, didn't know where he got it, was first one of the first uh, community acquired ones that we can think of in, in Ontario. And she spoke with such eloquence and such pain. And that was the first time I realized that if a loved one dies, there's no funeral. Mm. It gives me chills. There's no funeral, there's no grieving. And she was in quarantine for 14 days, not knowing if she would get sick. Uh, so my heart still goes out to her. We spent uh, a day in an ICU unit in the Toronto area. I was moved by the dedication of those frontline workers. They were frightened to go to work the first time in their career, careers. They were afraid to go to work, that they would get something from their patient. And yet they were at work. Uh, some of the nurses had plastic bags on their feet because there wasn't enough PPE. They've learned since, but that was incredibly striking and moving uh, day. And remember, those healthcare workers are still at work. Some of them haven't even had summer vacation, Christmas vacation. They're still at work, and now we're facing the second wave question mark. Uh, those, they will never leave me, those images that I saw. So how do you take care of yourself then? What, do you have a, a conscious self-care routine for, for disconnecting the fire hose of news that, that is always aimed at you the last year? I knew you were going to ask me that. I don't know why. I just do. That's what you're going to ask me. So number one, my first self-care is my wonderful husband, Jim, who listens to me talk and get it out. Number two, I really do try to exercise. I'm actually anxious because I've misplaced my Fitbit and I can't find it. Uh, but I do try to exercise and get up and move uh, and manage the stress with obviously sleep and eating and fighting the COVID 5, 10, 15 with eating properly. Um, I'm also a great believer in a book that I read um, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm. That book is so profound uh, has made such an impact on me in that even in crisis, there's opportunity, there's opportunity for kindness, there's opportunity to take care of yourself because this is the long game. We're in this for the long game. We need to help each other get out of this mess, learn from it, not have it happen again, and make the world a better place. So that's kind of what's keeping me going. And then on top of it, I kind of give myself little deadlines. So I go, I'll make it to my birthday. <laughs> you know, the next one will be when spring starts. The next one will be April 1st. And I try to give myself little mental treats of where I'm going to go. 
Um, so yeah. do you plan to take a vacation at some point? When when does the reporter on the thing on the never ending story actually find time to stop reporting on the never ending story? Well, I, you know what? I'm taking that a bit at a time. I am trying to save my time for the summer when things will be better. I, I miss seeing uh, two grandbabies and a grandniece. Uh, really, that my heart aches. And when they FaceTime, I, I usually stop everything to see them. All these three babies, it brings a tear to my eye because they were all born in the pandemic. Three, one in March, one in July, and one in November, Katie. and. Oh, wow. Uh, it's like those are those are the little miracles. Those so when people ask me what was 2020 like, I'll say relentless and awful, and also awesome, because there you know there's life, there's death, there's life. So long game, the long game. That's what I keep saying, the long game. The long game. It's focusing on the immediate issues at hand without losing sight of joy and hope in the future. As Avis points out, the winter and spring of 2021 will pose challenges, but here's to hoping she's right and we begin to see a break in the pandemic during the summer months. My thanks again to Avis Favaro from CTV News and Crystal Gumansingh from Global News. Thanks again to you for listening to the Living Well podcast for Morneau Chappelle. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. You've been listening to the Living Well Podcast. Mark Hennick is our host and executive producer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the show. There's no cost involved. You just hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a comment and a rating to let us know how we're doing. For more information about the show and the WellCan Project, visit wellcan.ca. The Living Well Podcast is produced for Morneau Chappelle by Mark Hennick and Eye Contact Productions. I'm Dave Trafford.